0: Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn in his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. And his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, "Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If, if you do not, if if you do what is right, you will you will not be accept. Will you not be accepted? But if. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door." It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother, Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother, Abel? Where is your brother, Abel? I don't know, he replied. "I am Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother your your brother's blood cries out for me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground it will no longer it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be restless. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so anyone who kills Cain will will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out for from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden.
1: Hey there, KGF Church family. Happy Thanksgiving, wherever you are and whenever you are. I know that we've got hubs, we've got small churches, we've got life groups meeting. Uh, all over the city, small clusters of our church family, not only all throughout the city, but also all throughout the week. So happy Thanksgiving, wherever you may be. Uh, We would love it if you would connect with one of these. If you've not been a part of a hub or a life group, one of these small churches, get in touch with us. We'd love to help you be a part of one of those. Give us a shout. Not only that, but I hope you've caught from us a few times now that we've got uh, baptism and membership Sunday coming up. So if baptism is something that you've been thinking about, if standing uh, up amongst our people and saying, yes, count me a part of this church, if that's been on, uh, on your heart lately, would you give us a call as well? Give us a shout via uh, phone or email, we'd love to hear from you. Before we get into the message this morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we pause to hear from your word, um, to be met by you, God, would you soften our hearts, would you, Uh, prepare us would this be a moment in the midst of maybe a busy week maybe a difficult week maybe a great week where we pause and remember that you are always speaking to us if we would have the ears to hear so father give us the ears to hear we pray in your name amen amen well today we are going to carry on in our exploration of the good news and we're sticking with genesis as we do it now last week The good news took a dark turn into the realities of sin and its effect on us and on creation and our relationship with God. This week, we're going to explore that a little bit more, uh, especially the impact that sin has on us and on our relationships. So picking up on that last line of scripture read by my beautiful daughter, Avery, flanked by my equally wonderful girls, Ella and Lauren, we're going to talk about what it means to live east of Eden. That is, in a place that is touched by sin, but not abandoned by God, a place where God's shalom can still be made manifest. Now, I know that I'm not the first person to catch on to that line and hang on to it, uh, but I promise I'm not going to be as long as Steinbeck was. I might not be as good as him, but I'm not going to be as long. Like Steinbeck, however, we are going to be looking at the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, and maybe a little bit beyond that as well. Now, Pastor Phil has already laid out the groundwork for us here, but in case you've missed it, let me do a brief recap of the main points thus far as they relate to what I want to talk about today. First, the first bit of good news is that we are created in God's image. That means we are made to look like him and reflect his character. Second, we are created for community. We're created for relationship not only with one another, but also with God. No person is an island. We only exist in relationship with one another. However, on account of the suspicion of God that was shared by Adam and Eve, in pursuit of their own gain, sin and its consequences entered into the world. Death, struggle, pain. And all of these show up in the account of Cain and Abel. It's an account of a relationship. So let's dive in. As we heard there in the text from Avery, brothers they are, but Cain seems more affected by the consequences of his parents' choices than Abel. He shares the same suspicion or distrust or disregard of God that his parents did. And verses three to five tell us about the offerings that each of them brought to God. Abel brings his best, he brings fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. But Cain doesn't bring his best. And he gets angry when God does not look on him with favor. And that Cain gets upset about this, highlights the fact that he was going into his offering with some kind of expectation. He was expecting, he was hoping and believing that by doing something for God, giving an offering, God would owe him. And when he's not given what he feels he's owed, he gets angry. Now this is actually a pretty common approach to religion in the ancient Near East, uh, where sacrifice was viewed as transactional. I feed the God, the God gives me something in return. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. But our God is not like this. Ultimately, he doesn't care about sacrifice. I desire mercy not sacrifice, he says in Hosea 6, verse 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God, acknowledgement of me, rather than burnt offerings. God's issue with Cain is not his sacrifice, but with the fact that as his expectations of God have made clear, he is not walking in step with the self-giving character of his creator. God has given him everything, and Cain won't do likewise. He's holding back. He's holding onto something for himself. And the crack in this relationship between Cain and God the Father will only lead to further fractures in this relationship, in other relationships. As God himself makes clear to remind him in the reminder of verse seven, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It's ready to pounce. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So we mustn't lose sight of the fact that sin isn't an ethical concept first. That is sin isn't merely following a list of do's and don'ts. Sin is a theological concept. What that means is first and foremost, it refers to our relationship with God and sin has fractured that relationship. And if that relationship is fractured, we can expect to see ourselves out of step with creation out of step with ourselves and out of step with one another. But Cain is unwilling to bring himself to repentance, to repair this relationship. And in his anger and in his shame, he sets his sights on Abel. We have no reason to believe that these two were ever at odds with each other in any serious way before this moment, but shame and anger can so often motivate us to attack others in order to escape the feelings of contempt or self-hatred that we have for ourselves. And I'm focusing on shame here because I think that this is what Cain is dealing with. His fractured relationship with God betrays a fractured sense of self, and when God catches him in it, He burns with frustration, humiliation, shame, anger, and his brother Abel dies for it. Now it's very easy to look down at King with a sort of snide self-righteousness, but here's the fact, ruling over sin, resisting it is incredibly difficult. I'm not sure I have to convince you of that fact, but I'm going to drive it home anyways. Sin taints us from the word go, Frederick Buechner says. And more even than hunger, poverty, or disease, it is what Jesus said he came to save the world from. Even after having experienced the free gift of salvation from sin's hold over us, we believers still find it incredibly difficult to resist resubmitting ourselves to its rule over our life. I love how Eugene Peterson translates Romans 7, 18 to 23. This is what he writes. Uh, This is Paul's voice in Eugene Peterson's translation. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I go ahead and do it anyways. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and it gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, I do, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in on that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I say we need to not look down at Cain with a self-righteousness because Cain's story is our story. Except the author here in Genesis wants to be very clear about the consequences of a broken relationship with God. Consequences that we often don't like to be confronted with. Sin leads to our willful destruction of others. I'll say that again. Sin leads to the destruction of others. It begins with the destruction of ourself, and that ripple effect spreads and spreads and spreads. And this is all the more tragic because we are made, remember, to look after one another, to care for one another, to keep one another. When God confronts Cain about Abel's whereabouts, uh, Cain asks, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, yes, yes, you are. We are, we are each other's keeper. And yet even knowing this, we still submit to the destructive pull of sin and willfully take each other down a notch, willfully insult one another in front of each other's faces or behind each other's backs. We willfully abuse one another, manipulate one another, take advantage of one one another, hurt one another. Cain's story, the story of Cain and Abel This is our story and our messes are echoes of this mess. In fact, I wanna pause here for a minute. I want you to grab a piece of paper, grab a piece of paper and grab a pen. And I want you to take a moment and be honest with yourself here. Take a moment and ask yourself who this week have you hurt with your words or your actions or perhaps with your lack of words or lack of action. And what I want you to do is, I just want you to write their name down. You don't have to write what you did, just write that person's name down. Let's be honest with ourselves for a moment here. Have this little moment of private confession and recognition and write down those people who we've we've hurt and recognize our affinity with Cain. There's gonna be a slide that pops up with a question there. We're gonna take about two minutes to do this. I'm gonna do this as well. So let's take a moment and write those things down right now. Sure about you. I uh, I realized I didn't bring a pen and paper with me, so I used my phone. But I bet if you take a look at your sheet, or maybe your phone, like I've used, I'll bet you dollars to donuts that many of those names on your list are the very same people that you love and hold most dear in your life. I look at my list, and it's almost entirely family. And yet we let sin use us. I have let sin use me contribute to their destruction. And you know what the truly frightening thing is here. The truly frightening thing is that so often we want the destructive things that we do. I am not accidentally fumbling into these things. I am making choices. Sin is intensely and unrelentingly personal and intimate. Now, hang on to that piece of paper. We're gonna come back to that in a moment, but for now, let's carry on with the story. Cain is cursed as a result of his actions, like his parents before him, but to an even greater degree, where Adam is told that he'll have to struggle with the land to produce food. Verse 12 makes it clear that Cain will never see success in this regard. When you work the ground, God says, it will no longer yield its crops for you. And where God drives Adam and Eve from the garden, he drives Cain from the land itself. Now this is too much for Cain. And he cries out, my punishment is more than I can bear. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Now let's not get distracted from the main point here with the obvious question of who exactly is Cain afraid will kill him? So far, the only people we've been introduced to here are Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel. There's all sorts of speculations here, but the text remains silent. Uh, This silence, John Walton says, is not an invitation for us to speculate about the gaps or lament the omission of details. We need to practice the discipline of reading the lines in front of us instead of reading between them. And the lines in front of us aren't to be missed here. In the same way that God clothed Adam and Eve before they left the garden to protect them from the elements outside, so God puts a mark on Cain to protect him so that no one will kill him. Even in exile, God looks after Cain. Ian Proven points out he keeps him even though he would not keep his brother. He promises him justice even though Abel did not receive justice. He even goes so far as to say he will himself avenge Cain if anyone harms him. The mark then is God's, uh, a symbol of God's promise to look after Cain. Adam and Eve spit in God's face and God says, before you go, let me look after you. Cain does it even more so with the murder of his brother and God says, I will look after you even so. A murderer who deserves to die according to later Jewish law is instead only exiled. And in his exile, he remains an object of God's continued blessing. Cain is watched over by God in his land of wandering. And that's what Nod means here. It's not a specific place. It's just a land of wandering. God looks over him as Cain should have watched over Abel, but did not. This is grace and mercy in the face of unkindness and injustice. And so Cain went out from the Lord's presence And lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And I find this last bit of the sentence, east of Eden, so evocative as a description of the place we all now inhabit a place marked by difficulty and struggle of wandering, but not a place bereft of God's blessing, no matter how much we deserve it. Like Cain before us, we are marked by God. We are marked by God's grace, though even more so having been set free in Christ. When we believed, we were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, Paul says in Ephesians. Nevertheless, in 1 Peter, Peter describes us as foreigners on this earth, as exiles scattered to the four winds, or perhaps more evocatively, as strangers in a strange land. Where Cain was a murderer, we are forgiven. We are called a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Being made in God's image, we have a tremendous capacity for love. We have a tremendous capacity for kindness, for cultivating life, for creativity also. I mentioned that God's promise of blessing continued on in Cain's life after the fact. It's east of Eden, Genesis tells us, that the first city is founded by Cain himself. It's east of Eden that music and technology are discovered and explored, verses 21 and 22 declared. This story of human flourishing at God's blessing continues. But as the story progresses, as humanity experiences God's blessing, it also experiences the destructive power of sin as it grows and festers like a wound. In verse 17, Lamech, a descendant of Cain, boasts about killing a man who has wounded him. The destructive power of sin has spread from the family now to the wider community. Lamech even goes so far as to claim the special provision God said over Cain to himself in this perverse and self-indulgent poem in chapter 4, 23 to 24. And all of this, of course, will come to a head in the stories of Noah and again at Babel. Whatever blessing we might experience, we also experience to a greater and greater degree the destructive power of sin because we allow ourselves to participate in it, to be ruled by it east of eden sin and blessing exist together and so god's warning to cain that sin is crouching at our door waiting to pounce remains for us we are to resist sin set free by christ and empowered by the holy spirit we are to step free of our shackles and choose life be it through patient endurance through prayer through showing the compassion of christ or holding on to the hope Of Christ's return. And none of these things, by the way, are passive. None of these things are passive. All of these things assume an activity and an activism on the part of the church. We are actively to be pushing back. We can't conquer sin. God in Christ has done that but we can, by our behavior towards one another, by our resistance of sin, we can be a community that brings a little slice of heaven to the plot of land we're on right now. When we resist by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are enabled to, to communicate to all who have eyes and ears to see that the good news that in Christ, there is another way to be in the world but you cannot do that passively. All of us as individuals have a responsibility to participate in this. And so, in a small way, let's start that now. Let's take a look at that list of names again. And you can add to it now if you like, but as we close, I want you to look at those names and think now of how and where these people have spoken into your life. Think of, how, of, of something that they have done that have contributed to your, to your uh, flourishing or has led to your flourishing. Think also of what you can do for them to make amends for the harm that you may have done in your carelessness and sin. Maybe it's simply asking forgiveness. Maybe it's going out of your way to repair a wound that you caused. Maybe it means talking to a friend to say, I don't know how to fix this. What do I do? Either way, I'm going to leave us some time right now. I want you to look at that list and we're gonna spend just a minute or two reflecting on each of those names and what we can do to resist sin in our relationships with these people. Let's take some time to do that right now. Church family, as I look at my own list here, some of the ways that I can be engaged in resisting sin and doing what I can to rule over it by the grace of God's Holy Spirit. Some of my things are easy, mundane, even, but they require a choice on my part. Some of these are longer. And harder. Um, I think the way to address them is often, however, still through small and often mundane things. We are looking at lists of names on a page, and this is a start because there are wounds that are outside of our families and outside of our circle of friends either. How is the church going to serve as a light for the wider community? What about the fact that we, as a church, have been complicit in some of the wounds that have been caused in in communities adjacent to our own? I think of the First Nations community. I think of the church's treatment of women in the past. I think of the question of sexual ethics that is arising right now. How do we bring and speak life into these situations when we ourselves have so often caused the hurt. This is where we can thank God for the good news of his forgiveness and his grace. This is where we can rest in his mercy, but this is where we cannot rest on our butts and be passive in the work that God has called us to do. God has called us to resist sin. God has called us to be his ambassadors in the world, to be good news for other people. And sometimes the answer is easy and mundane. And other times the answer is difficult and hard and has to be wrestled with. But we're called to do both. Church family, let me pray right now as we close this this morning or this afternoon or this evening or whenever you're watching this. Let's pray together. God of justice and grace and mercy, we know that we have hurt those whom you have called us to keep. We've acted out in anger and shame when we should have turned to you for help and direction. We've taken revenge on others and called it justice, seeking to hurt another to ease our own pain. Forgive us, God, for not seeing our own faults or our own sins when we are so quick to point them out in others. And God, forgive us for our inaction and silence as much as our hurtful actions and harsh words. jesus help us to resist the sin you so graciously freed us from through your death on the cross and restore us to the ways you taught us to love our neighbor to keep our family our friends even those whom we would rather call our enemy you have called us to love them to resist causing hurt and instead seek forgiveness and restoration. Call us into the paths of love and reconciliation so that living east of Eden, we would not lose our way to you. Your mercy extends to us all. Your grace is a gift and there is nothing we can do to deserve or earn it. Jesus, guide us into your living blessings, into love and justice, hope and mercy, Forgiveness and grace in your name, in the name of the Prince of Peace, amen. Okay, your family, if during this time together you felt at all that you may need to walk with someone, that you need someone to walk with you through the hurt that you have caused, or maybe even uh, the, the, the hurt that somebody has caused you, or maybe even the hurt that you have caused to someone, maybe the guilt and shame of how you've hurt somebody else. I want to encourage you, wherever you are on that spectrum, to reach out to us and make a connection with one of our Stephen ministers. These are people in our congregation who are trained just for this thing, to walk alongside those in a place of real need. You can give us a call here at the church or you can reach us through email. But let's close right now with a benediction. KGF family, see that you be at peace among yourselves and love one another. Follow the example of Christ and live by his spirit and God will comfort you and help you, both in this world and the world which is to come. Friends, as we close today, would you talk amongst yourselves, connect with a friend or family member this week, ask what does it look like for us to resist sin? Or even better, make it more personal, and talk about what it looks like for you to resist sin. Don't forget that list of names that you've got written down on a piece of paper or on your phone. Friends, God bless you, and I hope that we'll catch you all again next week.
2: A shout out today to the KOLO Heart Hub and to the ENTS Hub. Wherever you are today, welcome, we're glad you joined us. Three things to think about today. Number one, the nominating committee is asking for nominations for the KGF board. There are several positions where the people are finishing their terms, hub leaders, and the office have the form and the description of each position for you to check them out. If you know someone or you yourself or are interested in serving in this way, please prayfully think about it and hand those forms in soon. Second, blessings to all the refreshed ladies who are signed up for the new session. It starts in a couple weeks. And we want you in there. So there are a couple more places for people to join in, either online or in person. Go to your newsletter, to the website, to events and registrations, and sign up. Third, hey, it's shoebox time. The shoeboxes are at the church office. You can get them anytime. While the office is open, Monday to Thursday, 9 to 3 and fill them up. Another way is to do it online and do a virtual box. You know, there are many ways that we can serve in our community. They need our time, our money, and most of all, our prayers. And I encourage you to, as a hub, as a family, as an individual, if not this way, find another way to reach into the community around you.